I'd like to invite Professor Kevin Warwick to the stage. Professor Kevin Warwick is a professor of cybernetics at the University of Reading, and he's going to tell us a little bit about his work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, while we're setting up here, um, just want to, well, thank Luke very much for putting this whole event on. Amazing. Uh, but thanks, Steve, for thanking Luke in the way that he did as well. And just, just to say comments on... Oh, yeah, um, I, I know Andy is uh, what is it, on the editorial board of the studies in ethics, law, technology. There's, for anybody who's interested, I know a lot of you are online at the moment, there's a paper in the excellent journal, um, which Andy's uh, editorial board of, uh, studies ethics, law, and technology, that you can download. I think it's called Future Issues with Robots and Cyborgs, but a lot of what I'm going to talk about today, um, I'm coming much more from a technological viewpoint and um, where exactly it stands in relation to Ray or Peter Stringer, um, I think it is, as the, the speaker at the back meant, the, 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 the woman into sex. Sorry, yeah. Um, thanks very much. Uh, the, it, it is a middle line. It's, it's a mixture of the bio, but some of you may feel it's more post or trans. I mean, what, make whatever it, of you will. This is, this is just sort of what I'm doing, really. Um, I'm rather than get into the... Uh, post or transhumanist argument. I've called it cyborgs, but the cyborg is, is the mixture of biology and technology. So I certainly don't see it as leaving the biology behind, but neither do I see it as ignoring the technology. So it's a, a merger of the two. So it perhaps is somewhere in the middle. Uh, but this is just the experiments that I've been doing. Um, how you think they fit in or not or whatever, whether you think they're trivial or cool, it's up to you. I think they're cool because that's what I get to do. So these are all practical experiments. This is not, oh, wouldn't it be nice? This is not me speaking like an MIT person. We can do this, meaning translated to English, meaning we haven't done it yet. Um, this, this is saying what we, we have actually done or what we're doing. Um, so this is sort of uh, Reading speak. The first one is um, going way back in time, radio frequency identification devices. Um, and Ray was one of those people that was saying in the future, we're not going to need keys for our cards, we won't need credit cards. What we'll have is a little implant under the skin that identifies us to the world around us. But at the mid-1990s, nobody had tried it. So this is a younger version of me. Um, that my GP, George Boulos, is putting in a radio frequency identification device, implanting it in my left arm. And uh, what it, in case you fancied something like that, it's not the thing on the left-hand side. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, it, you could actually make it into something, but that's not the point. It is the thing on the right-hand side. Um, you get the idea of the size. What it did for me was identify me to the computer in my building. So as I walked down the corridor, the lights came on. As I went to the laboratory, the door opened for me. Coming in the front door, it said, hello, Professor Warwick, in a nice, positive, friendly way, and so on. So it's all things that we can show what you can do with the technology if the technology knows exactly who it is and you've got some, some sort of identification from inside your body. I think that was the important point. Um, I know various people criticized it. Who's ever going to want anything like that? Uh, but of course, I mean, many now, as some of you probably here, have cats and dogs with similar technology implanted. I'm sure there's somebody here whose cat or dog has a chip 
um, that identifies them. Probably the range, it's smaller, um, the range is not so great. This operated over one to two meters, which is, is quite, one meter is very reliable. Depends on the power you're using. We had, um, still have, door frames in my university, um, coils of wire, and that's how it gets its power. It's, it's passively powered, so effectively it can just sit there. Um, there are various people that are now, and cats and dogs, that have got these implanted for quite some time. It's in a silicon uh, case, even when it's hermetically sealed, it, it, there's no problems in the long term. So if anybody fancies something like this, um, no problem at all. And they are, they are very, very small now that you can get them. So the first experiment, just to set the scene, is it a cyborg? Well, you know, decide yourself. Um, second one is very much right up to date. I said the previous thing, you could do it yourself, yeah, which you could, you try it yourself. You need technology to interact with, obviously, but implanting it you can get away with. This is something, um, I'm not sure, I mean, this is Stellark-esque. I don't know whether I'm coining a word, Stellark-esque, but um, this is the sort of cool things that you, you might, I mean, whether you want to link up with these guys. Um, this is what students, I've got three students now that have magnets implanted in their fingers. For, I have to say, the university said, make sure people realise it's not you that have forced the students to have these things. These, these are students that request because they like to do stuff with this cybernetics thing. They want to have implants and we have full ethical approval from the appropriate authorities which is quite difficult because when you look at this, this is Jowish, the first student getting his magnets implanted, and you see the guy that's doing it has tattoos, you notice, on his arm. And he, he is actually a tattooed artist, goes by the name of Dr. Evil. And <laughs> this, which he's very good at what he does, but this presents problems because on the form it says, Who is carrying out the medical thing, <laughs> Dr. Evil? So we have to have all sorts of explanation and get this guy to send paperwork. But three, three of my students now, um, Jawesh and, and Ian doing and the same sort of thing. Matthew, I'll explain what he's doing in a second. You can see the two magnets, these are permanent magnets, implanted in the fingertips. Jawesh still has his now. He's, um, he got wired up about three years ago now. Ian, two, two years ago. Matthew, last year. So Jawish has still got his in, and they're still working, fully functioning. The technology now is, is quite good. The first magnets about 10 years ago, there were a few problems. Um, now the, the body accepts them within the ceiling, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, this is uh, give you an idea of what we're doing with them. The, on the baseball cap are ultrasonic sensors. Of course, we talk about human or humanity 1.0. One way humanity 1.0 is really, really limited is in terms of how we sense the world. We have five senses which scientifically have a very, very limited frequency range. So uh, for all of us here that are just human 1.0 versions, there's loads and loads of signals, lots of information blasting around in this room here that we just don't perceive. We're just missing out on it because we're pathetic human 1.0 versions. Um, one of the types of signals, I mean, infrared, ultraviolet, x-ray, ding, 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 doesn't mean a damn thing to us. Uh, this is ultrasonics, which bats use, obviously, but humans don't. The output from the ultrasonics is fed down to a coil of wire which is attached, which you can see, round Jawesh's finger. 
What it means is, as an object comes closer, so the current in the coil is increased uh, in terms of frequency and so on. What that does is vibrate the magnet more or less. So essentially, Jawesh can sense how far objects are away in terms of this vibration, this touch. So it's changing the sensory input for a, for a different sensation, sensory substitution. Um, what Matthew is doing, one of the other students now, he has the same implants, the same coil of wire linked to an infrared uh, sensor. So what infrared is like heat. So what Matthew can do is to point to an object and detect how hot it is remotely. So he doesn't have to touch it, he can sense it. Quite, quite a reasonable distance, several metres, but we're researching that, how far and the, the power of the sensor and the power of the, the sensation and so on is all part of the research. But it does open up all sorts of different possibilities. I mean, where it's going, Steve was referring to this being unstable, and, and I, I suspect, but I mean, the helicopters are open loop, unstable. Bicycles are unstable. They're very, very useful stuff, you know. I mean, unstable is not a negative thing. Unstable things are, are pretty good when you use them in different ways. So if it is unstable, we're not sure where it's going, if that's what he means by it. Um, well, we're not, but from a scientific point of view, we can experiment and find out. So Matthew can detect heat remotely. Um, as for whether we can detect x-rays and things like that, we'll find out by experimentation. We'll see. So it's very exciting from a technological point of view. Um, this is Ashley. Ashley is just, just getting his results. He just knows, as of yesterday, he's the top student uh, at um, Reading in terms of projects this year. What he did, this is some work Paul Bakirita did a few years ago, and he, Ashley's taken it on. Um, you see the little array. He's actually got a better one than that now. What he, he's been doing, again, we have ethical approval, um, been stimulating his tongue with different signals. So communicating via his tongue. Our tongues are very, very sensitive, and we really hardly use them. I mean, and the English people here, we hardly use them for taste anyway. But <laughs> the, this is a uh, very, very sensitive, and the possibility of communicating by the tongue. Now, of course, as with what we've just seen, you've got the therapeutic potential use, helping people who can't communicate and would maybe have sensory problems in one way or another. Um, so this is a possible, but it's just interesting to be able to communicate in this way. I mean, one of the things he does do um, with a blindfold on, he sends directions down into the array. Very, very accurately, remotely, you can control, uh, or he can control movement. So he doesn't have to see where he's going, but you can accurately t send him, direct him to go to places, which again could be useful uh, in various ways. It does relate, I think, the, the, the question the last time, it's very similar things that John Chapin has been doing with rats in terms of pleasure, stimulating the pleasure areas to get the rat to want to go right because it's, hey, this is nice going right and it's not, not nice going left. So there are similarities um, with that. But anyway, it's, it's there, make of it what you will, communicating um, because I have to say, I, I said human 1.0 is limited, restricted, Sensors is one way. Memory, obviously, is an, another big disadvantage compared to technology. The biggest, biggest, clearly disadvantage for human 1.0 is communication, which um, compared to technology, of course, we're, you know, it's embarrassing still to communicate as we do. 
Um, we, we all have highly complex signals, electrochemical signals in our brains, and what we're doing to communicate is to convert those signals to pretty pathetic serial pressure waves, mechanical signals that are very, very slow, simple, coded messages vaguely related to what we're thinking about our ideas and concepts. So if we can get a much more richer form of communication, surely that's a good thing. Let's have something completely different. I'm not sure how this would fit into Steve's um, scenario, um, but maybe give, even give him something to think about. I, I get to play around with a lot of robots, which is a fun thing. What we've done is replace the brains of the robots with biological brains. So if you look on the right-hand side, that's the, the physical body of the robot, the, the wheels, the ultrasonic sensors, and so on. The left-hand side, um, we now have biological neural networks, biological brains, and MEA is multi-electrode array. This is how we're, we're growing them in a little dish which has electrodes on the bottom of it. Um, this is what the dish looks like, the left-hand side. The rings are called Potter rings. Um, Steve Potter at uh, Georgia Tech, who's done a lot of work in this area. The rings are there to stop the, the brain dehydrating. What we do is take neurons from rat embryos, separate them using enzymes, and lay them out in this dish and grow them. We, we feed them every couple of days with minerals and nutrients. Within about a week, what neurons tend to do very, very quickly. Within a few minutes, they start pushing out tentacles. That's what they look like, anyway. And they link up with each other to form the dendrites and the axons. This all happens within a case. They want to communicate. They want to interact. Um, it's there genetically, I guess. It's in, inbuilt with them. And uh, after a week, we have a, a complex mesh of neural connections. It is two dimensions, but a, a two-dimensional brain, which we can connect up to, send signals into, and take signals from. So what you're going to go, I'll jump straight to the results. This is a robot now. Physically, you see what it's like. Mentally, it's two weeks old, so it's a baby robot. Um, the, the connections have just been made, and what it's supposed to do is this. It's supposed to move to the wall, detect the wall, and change direction. That's it. Fairly simple task. But you see, it changes its mind, and then it turns around and crashes into the wall. But this is just a baby robot, so don't expect too much of it. So sometimes it gets it right, and sometimes it doesn't. Um, what we can look at under the microscope is how the neural connections develop. So we can literally see connections strengthening as time goes on. Typically, the brain is in the robot body for about one hour a day, every day, um, which is, and we can investigate how much and how long and all, all sorts of that is part of the research. Um, but over a, 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 a two months, three months period, it, it learns and gets better and develops and so on, um, purely through the process of habit, because it's doing this every day, every day, every day, just like when we do something every day, it becomes automatic. Well, that's the sort of thing we can see in the robot. So I'm going to skip now. This is skipping ahead in time. The robot is now, well, the brain is, is um, two months old. So we saw two weeks. This is two months. And what it's supposed to do, of course, is move towards the corral wall and not bump into the wall. You saw how it was at two weeks. Now we see the, what time has done to the biological brain. There's no computer deciding what the robot does in terms of changing directions. It's purely the biological brain. Um, we're now working with a group in Canada, culturing the 
um, the brain not in two dimensions but in three dimensions. This takes the number up from, at the moment this has 100,000 neurons, so more than the slugs and snails. It, it's reasonably powerful. Three dimensions takes it up to 30 million brain cells. Okay, it's not up to the 100 billion human brain cells yet, but there are all, you know, this is technology. We improve the technology, we put more neurons in there, so we work towards the 100 billion. So depend, what does it mean to be a human if it's 100 billion neurons, human neurons? Well, we are now using human neurons as well. Um, I say human, we, we actually buy them in from an American company, but uh, it's, it's the closest we can get, so. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, yeah, sorry about that. Was, it was meant, if anybody's listening or watching, it was meant in a humorous way. It was not, um, I know how some people treat this. Oh, there we go. <laughs> the other way around, the other way around. Thanks very much. Um, but we, are, we have, the point is this. Human neurons, 30 million in a robot body is all now. That's, that's now. This is not, oh, this is going to happen. That's now. And increasing the number up towards the billions is, you know, and what does that mean? This is a different form of cyborg. I'm not sure, Steve, come, this is taking human brain cells and giving them a robot body. It's very, never mind, Stellark-esque. This is very Kafka-esque, as I see it, in terms of what the brain thinks and what it does and so on. Um, right, let's have something different. Let's have a look at the use of technology changing the brain from a therapeutic point of view. Now, what we are doing with this is working with surgeons in John Radcliffe Hospital, Oxford, actually taking the signals, the electrical signals in the brain via the electrodes, feeding them into an artificial intelligence system to get the system to learn how particular aspects of the brain, parts of the brain, uh, what's going on, uh, and then to, first of all, predict when tremors, the, the muscle locking is going to start before it actually starts so that signals, the, the stimulating signal you saw being applied there can be applied only when it needs to be applied rather than all the time. But the, the point of this is that it's using AI to learn accurately how part of the human brain is operating. So, final part. Um, is really specifically looking more at enhancement. That What we've been looking at there was more therapeutic uh, purposes, helping somebody that has a problem, but it can be extended. Uh, now let's look specifically at enhancement. Um, Campbell Aird lost his arm due to cancer. He's been given this robot arm, but you see him flicking the switch with his human hand to uh, operate the robot hand which is all a bit silly, really. Um, why can't he just control the robot hand directly from his brain and feel what the hand's feeling in his brain? That needs a bi-directional interface, um, connections between his nervous system and the wires. And if we get connections between the nervous system and wires, sure, we can give somebody an artificial hand or an artificial leg, that's more therapy, but we're talking here about putting brain signals on wires. And as soon as you put brain signals on wires, you can clip onto them and send those signals where you like. So this is, not, this is therapy to give somebody an artificial arm to plug their nervous system into a network and give them an arm or a leg or a wheel or a different piece of technology on another continent is very much, it's not humanity 1.0, let's put it that way. It's moving on, whether it's trans, post, cyborg, whatever. It's uh, giving people abilities they don't have at the present time.
what have I done about it? Well, I'll, I'll skip that one. This is um, me on the operating theatre uh, at Radcliffe in uh, Oxford, and there were four neurosurgeons involved. Uh, it was a two-hour neurosurgical operation to put this little thing in my uh, nervous system. Um, it's called the Utah Array, also now called the BrainGate system. Uh, 100 electrodes were fired into the median nerves in my left arm to link my nervous system with the computer. Um, this is, sorry if you had a big breakfast, but um, this is my left arm during the operation. Two incisions, they push the tube down between the incisions, then push that array down the tube, removed the tube, hammered the array into my nervous system, and then had wires running up my arm out onto this green connector pad. So those terminals were linked directly into my nervous system. So if I move my hand, my neural signals we could send into the computer to operate pieces of technology and so on. Uh, and we could also send signals into my nervous system that my brain learned to recognize. And if any of you are Guardian readers or register.co.uk uh, readers, um, this couldn't be put in a pocket or anything like that. You need a direct connection between, uh, it's not something that can be done with muscular signals because we're stimulating my nervous system, my brain learned to recognize the pulses. So technically, you need a direct connection into the nervous system or into the brain. Um, I've got one minute for just a few holiday snaps. This is <laughs> ultrasonics we saw before, fed into my nervous system, brain learned to recognize the pulses, Blindfold on, I was able to move around and detect objects. So anybody here fancies having other senses, certainly ultrasonics, go for it. Put your name down and you can, it will work. With my wife, um, jewellery that a student at the Royal College of Art put together that changes colour from blue to red. That's, that's the jewellery, not, not my wife. It was linked to my nervous system. Very quickly, imagine the scene. When I'm calm and relaxed, my wife's jewellery is blue. When I get excited, the jewellery flashes red. <laughs> she's in a completely different office. She doesn't work in the university at all. There she is in her office. Jewellery is blue. Fine. He's not doing anything he shouldn't. And then the jewellery flashes red. What is he doing? And oh, my God, there's no state. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, and uh, this is, again, Columbia University. Um, plug my nervous system live into the internet and link to the robot hand back in Reading in the UK. So I moved my hand, moved the robot hand in, in England, the robot hand gripped an object, signals back across the internet that I could feel how much force the robot hand was applying on a different continent. Final one, my wife had electrodes implanted. By all means, try it tonight if you want it. It is very painful. We linked our nervous systems together. When she moved her hand, my brain received a pulse. So when she went, three pulse, so it was and back the other way. So it was telegraphic communication uh, from person to person by means of direct electrical connections with our nervous systems. Um, hopefully you'll all try that. Clearly, where I see this going, the next step is brain-to-brain -brain direct communication, parallel signals, thoughts, ideas, concepts, etc., etc., etc. So as, as academics, we don't have to keep lecturing to students all the time. We can just download things into the brain. Okay, thank you very much indeed.